All right, let's take our Bible and uh, go over to Hosea. As you're flipping over to Hosea, I want to point something. Um, the last, the first two Sundays of this month um, were um, pray for the persecuted church. And um, I, we've got back there some global prayer guides for 2019. These are free back there. I think there's about 50 back there. Um, if you want to kind of know like what's going on around the globe, how are Christians being persecuted, this little guide will be a great help. It's a great little prayer guide. So that's that's free. That's on the back table. I wanted to point that out to you so you have an idea. Do this. Would you stand with me as we read uh, Hosea chapter 2? We're going to be in Hosea chapter 2 and chapter 3. You might be thinking, Nick, there's no way you can go through two chapters in one sermon. Well, chapter 3 is very, very short. It's five verses, so we'll make our way. Now, I need to set this up for you. Um, by the way, if you missed last week, please go back and listen. Every message we preach on this series builds on itself, so there's a, a point to context. Um, but uh, what I will tell you is this. Chapter 1 is Hosea and Gomer's story. We're going to look at chapter 2, and it's a lot of poetry. It's basically paralleling Hosea and Gomer's story now with Yahweh and Israel, okay? And and so that's what's happening in chapter 2 as we read this. So And then we'll jump into chapter 3. It's more narrative about Hosea and Gomer's relationship once again. And what you're going to see today's message, it's titled, Scandalous Love Continued. We're continuing where we left off last week in chapter 1. Look at verse two, chapter 2, verse 1 with me. We'll read through it. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters you have received mercy. Verse 2. This is Yahweh telling the children of Israel, the individuals of Israel, to tell their nation, Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife. I am not her husband. They're divorced because of, the, because of Israel's immorality. That she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born. And make her like a wilderness, and make her like a parched land, and I kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I have no mercy, because they are the children of whoredom. For the mother has played the whore, and she who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers. Who gave me bread, and my water, my wool, and my flax, my oil, and my drink? Therefore I will hedge up her way with thorns. I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, shall say I will go and return to my first husband. And it was better for me then than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain. Yahweh saying, I gave her the wine, the oil, who lavished on her silver and gold which they use for Baal. That's a false god. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season, and I will take my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now, I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of lovers. This is what Yahweh's doing. He's judging her. And no one shall rescue her out of my hand. This is Yahweh towards Israel. And I will put it into all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste to her vines and her fig trees. Of which she said, these are my wages, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them. I will punish her for her feast, days of the bells, that she burned offering to them, and adored herself with ring and jewelry, and went after her lovers, and forgot me, declares Yahweh. If you're a guest with this, capital L-O-R-D is the, is the Hebrew word Yahweh. Verse 14. 
God issues this judgment, and then he says this, Therefore, behold, I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness. I will speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards. I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth. At that time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, I will give, she, she will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of Baals from her mouth. And they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow and the sword and war for the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and in mercy. And I will betroth you to me faithfulness. You shall know the Lord. And in that day, I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain and the wine and the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel. This is him changing the names of, of, of what the Hosea's children were. And they shall answer Jezreel and I shall sow for her myself the land. And I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And you shall say, you are my God. Now, remember in chapter 2, poetry describing Israel's response to uh, Yahweh's response to Israel and all their adultery, the judgment, but also his mercy and grace that comes. We'll talk more about that. Then he flips back over to the narrative of Hosea and Gomer. Now remember, chapter 1 through 3, it's really as if the voice of Gomer and the voice of Yahweh are kind of like one voice in the sense their stories are paralleling each other. You get me on this? They're paralleling each other. Yahweh and Israel, Hosea and Gomer. Verse 3. And the Lord said to me, to Hosea, go again and love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Well, that's some tough stuff to hear from God to do. Even the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to their other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought for her, I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lech of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So also I will be to you. Verse 4, for the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in the fear of the Lord and the goodness of his latter days. Let me ask God's help over this. Once again, we... We're studying, Lord, you know all about this. We're studying these prophetic books. They can be difficult and consuming, but so good for our soul. Would you let your intended message from this text resonate to God's people? May we be overwhelmed once again by the grace you've extended to us. Let it help us to fight sin. Let it help us to walk in community. Let us help us to fulfill the great commission. Let us help us to die to self, to die to selfishness, to not hide from our sin. Let it help us minister grace to each other with those who have sinned against us. And we'll praise you. And God's people said, amen. You can be seated. Okay, so, so here we are. We're, we're now looking at the, the second part of scandalous love continued. So if you've got your outline, uh, you should have got an outline of some sort. By the way, are y'all cold or are y'all warm? Are y'all cold? I'm feeling very cold right now. Not cold hearted, okay? But are, are y'all hot? Are y'all, y'all good? Y'all solid? Okay, well, I'm going to start wearing some long johns in, okay? 
guess I didn't have enough coffee this morning. Y'all don't want me to drink coffee anyways. I've got more than enough energy for you. If I, if I have coffee, I'll be doing backflips off the stage, and I'm a little bit too portly to land that one right. <laughs> you want to see that? That would be worth the price of admission. You may have to pay a price of admission to get into a, a worship service with Kanye West at Joel Osteen's church today. You don't have to pay admission to get in here. So look at this scandal. I want to talk about last week, just if you weren't here, there were five kind of scandals we looked at. Um, and I remember, uh, basically, when we studied last week, we discovered in this text, we are Gomer. We're not, Yah- we're, we're not Hosea. We're actually Gomer. We're the sinners. We're the ones. And last week, I, I kind of talked about five things, five scandals we saw in chapter one. And if you look on your notes, on, the, um, on your question sheet, and then you should have this kind of on the back, I just give you last week's five scandals. And now we're going to look this week. This week, we look at scandal number six that we see in our text. Yahweh asks his children to plead for their mother to repent of her prostitution. Now remember, chapter 2, it really flips over, and it's kind of Yahweh's response to Israel. It's poetry, but at the same time, once you understand it, it really is kind of a parallelism. When you hear the voice of Yahweh, you're hearing the voice of, it's like they're one voice. So I can't say that everything that, that is happening with Israel, with Yahweh towards Israel in chapter 2, is exactly what's happening with Hosea and Gomer. But when you look at the parallelism and how they match each other and some of the things that are said in chapter 1 and chapter 3, you understand that it's really kind of one voice. So we find first, number 6, the scandal is that Yahweh asked his children to plead for their mother to repent of her prostitution. And so specifically, it would kind of be, he's saying, the individuals of Israel, the individual Israelites, you need to plead with your nation, with your leaders, with the people at large, with the nation, that you repent of this, you repent of this adultery, that you cheated on Yahweh. So he says in verse 2, chapter 2, plead with your mother. Now, What's interesting, I don't know, I, I don't know if this is something that Hosea, Hosea's own children had to say to their own mother. And if it is, man, how scandalous is that, that a child would have to plead with their parent to stop going about their whoring. How, how gut-wrenching that would, how scandalous that, that, that would be. But in this parallelism I see here, Yahweh's children are asking that of their mother, of the nation of Israel, And possibly even Gomer's kids are doing the same thing. You know something's not right when the children are having to actually consult the parents, right? When the children are actually having to admonish the parents. But that's what you have here. It's a very scandalous situation that a kid... And by the way, just a a side note. Haven't you noticed that there's anything that can break a parent? It's it's their kid, right? There's anything that will soften the heart of a parent. It's, It's a kid. I mean, I've... I can tell you how many times I've seen a grown man be hard towards the Lord and then one of his kids comes to love the Lord and like it just changes that hard, stiff-necked man in just an instant. I, I remember one time, <laughs> there, y'all probably don't know this guy. Um, I mean, if you've been spared by this, good for you. So I grew up in um, fundamental independent Baptist world and um, so there was a guy um, up in Chicago um, and uh, this preacher, he had a, really big name preacher, and uh, what he did is uh, he really believed in door knocking so much that, like, if you, if he came to your door, he knocked on the door, and you said you weren't a follower, he would come right back to your house the next week. So it wasn't one of those things where you're, you're, 
you know, like, for instance, if I did that, if the person wasn't warm to the Lord, I'm probably not going to return back unless the Lord says something. But he was just very obstinate. He's just kind of very obstinate kind of preacher, right? And um, so what he did is he visited every, when he pastored in Garland, Texas, he visited every single door in that city. That was his goal, to knock on every single door. And there's this guy by the name of Leon. Uh, he's a guy that was my friend here years ago. He's passed and has gone to be with the Lord. Um, so Leon... So Leon was not a follower of Jesus, and this this preacher kept coming to his door week after week, and week after week, Leon just would get very upset with him, and like, why are you coming back to my door? Leave me alone. I don't want any of this. Well, one day, Leon's son kind of peeks from behind the door as Leon comes, and the preacher says to Leon, he goes, you love that boy of yours? (laughs) And Leon goes, yes, that's my son. I love him. He said, do you know that you're probably sending that boy to hell by you not becoming a follower. (laughs) Now, I would not promote you using that tactic. But in that moment, something snapped for Leon. Leon wasn't concerned for his eternity, but he was concerned for his son's eternity. And it changed Leon. It made Leon, I mean, Leon became a follower. God used that. So the interesting thing is this. We find that Yahweh is asking his children, and maybe by parallelism, it wouldn't surprise me if... Gomer's children were pleading with her like, Mom, what are you doing? Like, why are you cheating on Dad like this? Why are you continuing to do this? Like, he's a good man. He's, he's here for you. Why are you doing this? What scandal that is. That, that would have to happen. Of course, it reminds me of how scandalous God's love is for us, isn't it? That God would use so many tactics to get us back to Him. I mean... Even the children are being used to bring the parents back into repentance. And by the way, I could say this. If, if, you're, if you're here and your parents are far from the Lord, your prayers and your influence have a tremendous impact on your family. Scandal number seven that we see in the text. Yahweh in this provides for his whoring wife Israel, and she doesn't even know it. Chapter 2, verse 5, we see in chapter 2, verse 5, it says, remember, it's the poetry of chapter 2. In verse 5, he says, and for your mother. Now, the mother, once again, is describing Israel as a whole, as the nation, the northern kingdom of Israel. And if you're a guest, by the way, I know it's kind of hard sometimes to pick up in the middle of a sermon series. I, I promise you, go back and start listening to these prior messages, and you'll start to kind of see where we're going. Chapter 2, verse 5, he says, For your mother has played the whore. She has conceived, she who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread, my water, my wool, my flax, my oil, my drink. So the nation of Israel, who is personified here as the mother, she was chasing after false idols. And and, and in the midst of chasing these false idols, she was still being provided with bread, water, wool, flax, oil. And what she thought, Israel thought was, all these good things I have are actually a result of my worshiping these false gods. Uh, All the spiritual adultery they were doing. She was attributing it to those false gods. But really, all this actually came from Yahweh. And if you know anything about the northern kingdom of Israel, they were very prosperous at this time. We're going through a lot of prosperity. And what commonly happens when a country goes through prosperity is they go through it long enough... People start thinking it's because of them that they do it. They, they stop, they forget it's actually the Lord's resources that are doing this. So what Yahweh is saying is, listen, I've given you bread, water, wool, flax, oil, drink. I've been taking care of you. And yet you think the whole time Baal's been doing that. Isn't that scandalous that, that Yahweh is providing for her? And even this, the very resources Yahweh is providing for her, they're actually using those resources to worship Baal. In chapter 2, verse 8, he says... 
And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, the oil, and lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Now that word Baal means Lord, like lowercase l, Lord. They were worshiping this false god Baal. They were using Baal as a replacement for Yahweh because basically they could attribute to Baal, you delivered us from Egypt, but Baal would let you do whatever you want. So this is what they were doing. Yahweh provides, and yet... They even use those resources. I mean, how scandalous is this? Yahweh's providing resources that they're going and worshiping someone other than Yahweh. Now, I don't know if this is true or not, but remember, there's a lot of parallelism here in the poetry. It wouldn't surprise me that this, that Hosea was providing resources for Gomer as well, and Gomer wasn't, wasn't acknowledging it. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, just so you know, um, you know, Cult prostitution is not one of those kind of uh, things that they took really good care of you, okay? So basically, the pimps that took care of, of, of Gomer, they usually didn't look after her needs very well. That, that's not really how that line of work works, okay? The, when, in, in, that kind of, in that kind of industry, when you kind of play that kind of lordship over a woman, I mean, that, like, that, these kind of men don't take care of women. So it wouldn't surprise me if Gomer, if Gomer, if, if Hosea was out there actually finding who are the masters of her, who are the slave masters of her in her cultic prostitution, basically who her pimps are, and slipping them resources to make sure that, hey, make sure that, make sure Gomer's taken care of, like, make, make sure she has what she needs, man. I mean, like, I know she's, she's left me, she's left me, like, would you just make sure she gets this? It wouldn't surprise me. I can't say that's happening, but if I follow the parallelism of this, it wouldn't surprise me at all, which once again brings me back to the Lord, didn't it? Because I know in my own life, at this point, when I be honest with my sin, I should not still be standing. None of us should, right? But yet the Lord's been good. Like, the Lord's been providing. Even sometimes I wonder, the things that He's been providing, have we used those things selfish and sinful and idolatrous ways, just like we see Israel doing? But yet God was faithful to them. Yahweh was providing and they didn't even know it. Their lack of thankfulness, they couldn't even see it. Which, by the way, just a side note on that. Like when people are not thankful, when we're not thankful, we don't realize God's blessings in our life. That's why everything we do must be done with thankfulness. Even hard times, thankfulness. In fact, if you ever look at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 through 8, you get a recipe for how to deal with anxiety. And one of the recipes to deal with anxiety is that you take it to the Lord in prayer. But also, in the midst of taking it to the Lord in prayer, you actually express thankfulness for that situation. And actually, in the midst of that, God's promise is that the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. Now, that's not a verse to actually help you make decisions. It's actually a verse that actually helps you to not be anxious. You give it over to the Lord in prayer, and in the midst of it, you're thankful. Which means, whatever difficulty, when you get up tomorrow, and whatever difficulty you know is going to hit your day, when you start saying, Lord, thank you. You are building something out of my character through this. You are making beauty out of ashes, Lord. Thank you for this. You'll discover that anxiety can start lowering, right, as the Scriptures promise. And the peace of God. But yet, we're here still with Israel. And possibly Gomer. They can't, they can't recognize God's provision. They can't recognize Hosea's potential provision. What scandal. I mean, can you imagine this? That if you're in that city and you know that you know what Gomer's doing. And you know that Hosea's walking down there each day. And, and handling, giving to whoever G- Gomer's handler is. 
here's some resources for her. Do you think people are just looking at that and just going like, man, what is wrong with this guy? This guy's silly. What is she? Does he not see what she's doing? This is how much God loves us. How scandalous God's love is for us. It, it doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense sometimes. Number eight, chapter three, verse one. Here's the eighth scandal. Yahweh, now we're back into kind of the narrative here of chapter 3. And then we're going we're gonna to look back at chapter 2 here again and meant the poetry of it. Are y'all still with me? Y'all okay? I'm starting to feel warmer now, not as cold. <laughs> there you go. Chapter 3, verse 1. And the Lord said to me, to Hosea, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man. And is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. So scandal number eight, Yahweh tells Hosea, remarry Gomer. Now, if you look back in chapter two and you look back in chapter two, verse two, in the poetry of that, basically, Yahweh is saying to Israel, you're not mine anymore. I'm not your husband. You're not my wife. You have broken the covenant. It's gone. That's it. So we find here, if we're following the parallelism that happens between these three chapters, between Hosea and between Yahweh, we find that they're not married anymore. And Yahweh says, remarry this woman. <laughs> How do you like that? Now, well, now I can imagine at this point, the kids were probably like, yeah, because the kids probably, all they know is, man, we just want mom and dad back together. Can you imagine what Hosea's potential siblings, the aunts, the uncles, everybody else, what do you think they were probably telling Hosea? No. You fool! What are you doing? What public scandal this was for the whole entire community to see exactly what was going on. What do you think people were saying about Hosea? Notice some striking things in chapter 3, verse 1. Go again. First, the Lord said to me, go again. Go again. Isn't that interesting? Who's the one making the moves here? Is it? Is it... Gomer towards Hosea or Hosea towards Gomer? Ah, it's Hosea towards Gomer. Doesn't that remind you of kind of how it works with us, right? We loved him because he what? First loved us. So he goes after her. What? How hard is this? Like, Hosea, you're going to be the one to go after her. And not only that, when you go after her, go, because remember what it, what it says in, in chapter 3, go after her. And love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. So we do know this. If you look back at chapter, chapter 2, it should be verse 7. When In the poetry of it, it, it describes a section where, and in fact you can look at it, chapter 2, verse 7. Where uh, she basically, when it's using the poetry, Israel realizes what she had with Yahweh. And it says in verse 7, and she pursued her lovers, but not could not overtake them, and she shall seek them but not find them. This is Israel with her false, idolatrous lovers, these pagan Baals. And then she said, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. And she will say, she will say. So people say, well... How come Gomer just, okay, if, if even Gomer was thinking that, there's some parallelism. How come Gomer didn't just actually go back to Hosea herself? She couldn't because she was a slave. She couldn't do it. So the most she could do would think about how nice it would be to be back with him. That's why God says, actually, you, Hosea, you go again and get her. You go again and get her. It's kind of like this. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you're not a follower of Jesus because you chose God, all right? 
He chose you. You responded to God. In His kindness, He drew you. The Holy Spirit drew you. You have as much effort to return return back to Hosea as Gomer did. Gomer couldn't return because Gomer was a slave. Gomer had no rights. All she could do was hope it would happen. But in the end, she couldn't get back to Him. He had to come for her. Isn't that just like our Savior? That's his love for us. That's the scandal of his own love. And not only is that the scandal of his love, but look back at chapter 3, verse 1. Go again and love a woman who is loved by another man and as an adulteress. How do you like that? There's competition. Hosea, go get her. Oh, but by the way, you're going to have some competition. She's got other lovers. Her heart's not solitary. I mean, it's one thing to know that your spouse has committed adultery on you and... Okay, they're repentant and they're trying to work back towards you. But we don't see that right here, right? I mean, we see in, in the poetry of chapter 2 that maybe that she has these, possibly that could have been her thoughts, that Israel's, that Israel's thoughts could have been her thoughts, that, man, I, it was better with my husband, it was better with him, but we don't find that she has any ability to do that. In fact, she's loved by another man. Someone else has marked her as his territory. She's currently in adultery. She's a double-minded woman, and yet... God says, go after her. She's broken by her, sexu- by her sexuality. She's broken. Hosea is going to woo her back like, like Yahweh woos Israel, like Jesus woos us. Even this, in any way that we're broken by sin today, Jesus is trying to woo us back to him. I mean, it doesn't matter what your sin is. Our sin is. Our sin. The Lord is trying to woo us back. And, and listen, When you're in the slavery of sin, there's only one that can set you free from slavery. And so this is what Hosea is doing. He's doing exactly what God told him to do. Now, I find interesting when you look at the text of chapter 3 and verse 1. The Lord said, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, that they turn to their gods, uh, although they turn to other gods and love raisins of cakes. I find this interesting. People would say, what motivated Hosea to be able to do this? Like, what motivated him? How in the world could he, how could he forgive her? How could he go back and do this? Like, how, how could he obey? Well, look in the text, what it says in chapter 3, verse 1. Who's loved by another man, and she's an adulteress. And then he says, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. Even as, even as. Even as. Everybody say this, even as. Even as. So what made Hosea do this? It wasn't for anything great about Hosea. It was because this is what he'd seen the Lord do with Israel. This is what Yahweh could do with Israel. You know, it's interesting. In Ephesians 4.32, when it talks about forgiveness, it says that you forgive even as God through Christ forgave us. You know what the standard of forgiveness for us is? It's not, does a person deserve that forgiveness? The standard of forgiveness is, have I been forgiven? As I've been forgiven, I forgive as Jesus has forgiven. So the question is this, if someone has wronged you and hurt you, how far has Jesus forgiven your sin? I mean, if you... If you're a follower of Jesus and you've accepted by faith through God's grace the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus and, and you, are, you know that heaven is your home, that you have the ability to fight sin now, like you know Jesus is yours and he is walking with you, how far has he forgiven your sin that you could have that relationship? Yeah. So how far can you forgive someone as far as Jesus has forgiven you? That's how far. How far is that? 
immeasurable. You remember Peter when, when Peter said to Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? Peter thinking, ooh, that's real generous. Like, you know, because in their culture, they kind of taught if you forgive three times, three times is enough. I mean, after three, men off with their head. That's it. So Peter kind of comes in and says, hey, Jesus, we're going to, how about if I forgive seven times, thinking I've doubled it and put one in for extra measure. Bonus me. Look at me. You know, magnificent Peter, right? I'm so gracious. And then Jesus says in what? No, 70 times seven. Now he's a fisherman, so I'm not sure he could even count that high, right? It's like, you know, it's in the 400s. But no, no, I'm sorry. Oh, was that a dig? It's okay, I can say that because I've only had, I only had to have one math class and two graduate degrees, right? So, so I don't even know how to count the 400. But here we have it. What's the standard? Even as the Lord. So how could Hosea, I mean, how could he do this? How could he remarry Gomer? How could he do this? Even as the Lord loves Israel. That's the standard. And by the way, how scandalous was this for everybody to see? Like, Gomer, what are you doing, man? Like, what do you think his buddies were saying? Like, dude, you're dumb. I mean, I'm sure his buddies were like, dude, you are dumb. The other prophets, I mean, they were probably like, man, you, you should stop being a prophet. Like, prophets should be able to predict the future a little bit better. And if you were a real prophet, you predict, like, this is going to go bad for you again, Hosea. Like, what is your deal? But yet, but yet the scandal of God's love that God was trying to show to Israel through the crucible of Hosea's life, was that God loved them. And it didn't make sense. It didn't add up. Not from a human perspective. So next we see number nine. This is really scandalous. Chapter three, verse two. Look look what happens in chapter three, verse two. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lech of barley. Here's the interesting thing. In the text... Basically, what happens is Hosea goes bankrupt to buy Gomer back. He goes bankrupt to buy her back. Oh, just so you understand, this wasn't, I mean, how far did Gomer go? Well, there's a little saying, sin will take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you're willing to pay, and keep you longer than you were ever willing to stay. That's, that's Gomer. How far had she gone? She'd gone so far in her whoring, that she was now basically a slave. She was a, a cult prostitute. She was a prostitute slave. That's how far she had gone. So far that if Hosea wants to go get her, he can't just go pick her up and just go like, man, her, okay, come on back. We're good. No, he has to go to her pimp, whoever that is, whatever cultic practice leader is, is a control of her, whatever slave master she has. And he has to say, I, I, I want her back. And that guy says, hey, you're going to have to buy her back. Okay, okay, how much? Now, the common price for a slave was 30 pieces of silver. And you know, Jose is having to say, you know, I'm in ministry. You know, we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't make a lot of money unless we're Joel Osteen, right? So, like, I, I don't have all that. I don't have all that. All right, what else you got? Well, I got, I got, I got 15. I got... I got 15 shekels. I got 15 pieces of silver here. Yeah, you're still short. You can't have her. Sorry. She's my, but she's my wife. Doesn't matter. Got to buy her back. But, but like, I've already done this. Like she's mine. Doesn't matter. Okay. What else you want? Well, well, what can you do? So Hosea looks and looks at his store, what he's got. He's got barley. 
you know, he's got his commodities, and it's a lot still. Basically, a, a homer is, is anywhere from 40 to 60 gallons of barley. That's quite a bit to have on store. That's quite a bit. That was more than likely most of his food rationings. It looks as if, remember, he's a prophet. He's, he's not rolling in it, and he's not a prophet that everybody likes, just to be honest with you, okay? Kind of has a really hard message that he's delivering. Only the, the really wicked prophets probably made a lot. But yet, he says, okay, I'll give it to you. So you find that he runs out of cash, and he's basically hawking things, hawking the commodities of his household so that he can just get her back. What does he do? He goes bankrupt. He gives everything, everything, so that he can get her back. Everything. How much is she worth it? She is worth everything. Does that not remind you of something else, doesn't it, right? Does that not remind you of the Savior? Like, how far did God go to buy us back? Because remember, He created us. We were already His. He was already Lord. He was already Master over us. But yet, He had to buy us back because of our sin. Because of the DNA of Adam and Eve. And just just realize, if you were there in the garden, I was there, we would have done the same thing that they had done. We're not that, 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 don't get on our kind of perch stand. Like, we would have done the same thing. There's not going to be fights in heaven with Adam over saying, like, Adam, you idiot. Why did you do that? Why did you take that fruit? I, I would have probably elbowed him on my way to getting it. That's how wicked and rotten I really am. And yet... This is why God says, i got to buy you back. This is what happens. God sells everything, bankrupts everything, sends his son, and his son suffers the wrath of God in our place, goes bankrupt to get Gomer. So did God too. Sent his son and sold, pushed everything in, pushed all the resources. What scandal this is. Can you imagine even what Hosea's family is saying? Like, dude, it's enough that you're going to take her back, but really... You're going you're gonna to give the remaining money you have, you're going to give that to get her back? Like, really? And what, what are you going to eat after this? You just gave away all your barley. What are you going to do after this? Hosea's like, man, I don't know. Man, I don't know, but I know this. I love her like God loves Israel. Like, I can't explain it. I, if, if I could, it wouldn't make sense. So scandal number 10, and it's, I love this point. Jose and Gomer start over. They start over. They start over. Look in chapter 3 and verse 3. So he buys her back. Now here's the deal. If your heart wasn't right, Gomer buys her back and he gets her, you know, if his heart wasn't right, he'd get her home and he'd start treating her like a slave herself. He'd start to make her life miserable. He'd, all the hurt that she had been towards him, he would keep reminding himself of it. He would just treat her horrible. I'm just telling you, if you've ever been in a situation where someone has committed sexual immorality against you, right? Whether it's physical, whether it's been through pornography, whether it's been through online chats, whatever has happened, wherever I've seen this, the person who, who was hurt and harmed through it, the, the, the offended when they take that person back, oftentimes they struggle with that. They almost want to treat that person like a slave. They want to get back at them. They want them to feel the rawness and the hurt that they felt. You track it with me, right? I mean, what temptation that would be. I mean, what temptation would it be for Hosea to get home and, and, and like, hey, you know, uh, Gomer, I'd, I, I, I'd like, to, to, like, to, like to cook some bread here, but, uh, oh, I don't have anything because I had to buy you. You understand that, right? You understand how you kind of rub that in her face, her sin from the past. Just a side note, your marriage would probably be a lot better if you stopped rubbing sin from the past in their face. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. 
That's what forgiveness is. You don't bring the matter up anymore. So Hosea says, man, we got to start over, Gomer. So he doesn't treat her like a slave. Doesn't treat her unkind. He says, we're going to start over, Gomer. We're going to start over. We're going to push the race that button. We're, we're going to have a time of purity. And, and it was interesting. Look in chapter 3, verse 3. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. In chapter 3, verse 3, we see that basically there's a new betrothal period that happens. Where basically it's not like Hosea brings Gomer home and they're back at marriage, back at nothing ever happens. Listen, Gomer has been in the muck for a while. And although there's a process of repentance for her, there's also a process where, like, she's got to get this out of her system. Like, she's got to have some time of just kind of detoxing from all the ways of thinking she had, all the ways she's, like, she's got to have a time of, like, getting back to a position of purity where she can commit herself. So he basically comes in and says, let's, let's, I'm going to betroth you to myself. So if you don't understand the way their culture worked, a betrothal, Basically, before you got married, you got betrothed. And a lot of people go, well, that betrothal is just like a, um, our modern day kind of um, engagement period. I'm like, well, kind of, but not really. Because when you were betrothed to a woman, basically you became financially responsible for her, but you had none of the benefits of marriage, right? She still stayed at her dad's house, but then you became financially responsible for her. And I don't know about you, but I don't know many people who get engaged and he's like, hey, yeah. Uh, will you marry me? And she says, yes, I do. Then he's like, okay, well, hand me all your debt receipts and I'm just going to go take care of it today. Right? I just don't know that like, many situations where that has happened. That'd be nice. I mean, the next time a guy, you know, if you're single and a guy asks you to marry him, give it a try first, right? I mean, before you say I do, kind of go like, well, this is my debt. I mean, kind of contingent, do something about this, maybe. I don't know, maybe not do that one. That's probably bad advice. <laughs> Work for me. I mean, if you feel shaky that she's not going to say yes, you're right. I mean, like, if you feel like when you ask her and she stalls, just go like, give me your debts, baby. All right, then she'll go right through. <laughs> so just kind of, guys, tuck that in your back pocket in case you ever need it someday. You're welcome. Now do this. And I told you chapter 2 and chapter 3 have some parallels to each other, right? Okay? So you understand there's poetry of chapter 2, Yahweh towards Israel, but... This whole thing is paralleling. I mean, it's like one voice. Like, you understand that, right? Yahweh and, 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 and Hosea. Now, do this. So we see what he does in chapter 3, verse 3. Kind of starts this betrothal period. Basically says, like, you're going to have to kind of get pure for a while. Now, paralleling, look in chapter 2 and go over here to verse 16. When, when Yahweh restores Israel to himself, right? Here's what Yahweh says to Israel, his wife. Running in parallel with Hosea. And in that day declares the Lord, in verse 16 of chapter 2, you will call me husband, and no longer will you call me Baal. Right? So he's like, there's going to be a new relationship here. Right? I'm going to be husband to you. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. So basically it's like, Yahweh's saying there's going to go this process where you're going to forget those other lovers' bales, the false gods you were worshiping, committing spiritual adultery with. You're going to forget them, right? You see the parallel that, like, he brings her home so that she can have... And they don't go right back into the marriage. There's this time of kind of purity and separation. Now, bump down here to verse 19. And watch what Yahweh does with Israel. Who, remember, Yahweh had divorced her. I will betroth you to me forever. 
I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and in mercy. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and faithfulness. And you shall know the Lord. You see, basically what's happening is Yahweh with Israel says, I'm going to I'm going to purify you. I'm going to have a process where you forget your other lovers and you can just be with me, your one true husband. You'll call me my husband and not my bales. Like you'll forget about them. There's this process of purity that he, he has with Israel that's coming when he restores them. And running in parallel theme of chapter 3, verse 3, from Hosea to Gomer. He brings her home, has a betrothal period. They're not coming together in marital sexual union because she needs some time to kind of get her heart right. And and And... She needs some time that they can kind of push the race to the set, but they need some time that, like, they can just start over, right? You know, I've discovered oftentimes, even when I, I see, you see this in people, that, like, when sexual immorality has happened, it's like, oftentimes, they need a season of separation. They need a, a season of, sometimes, depending on the socioeconomic standards, like, you'll see, like, they'll start sleeping in separate rooms and the offended is trying to make sure the offender is actually repented. And, and, and then, I mean, and sometimes, depending on the case, you'll see, like, people, like, the offended sometimes might be so, like, just in a bad place that they just need actual space and that person's not in the home. Like, like biblically, I never really actually tell people to do separation. I've, I've found that it's, it does, it's not a biblical concept and it often breaks down the marriage. But I, I, you've seen, I've seen where trauma, the trauma of that adultery actually just drives, I mean, just, like, so hurtful. So here's what happens. That's what see what they're doing. I mean, he brings her home, but they're not together in the marriage bed yet. He brings her home knowing, knowing that although he's went after her, she needs some time to get her heart right back with Yahweh. She needs some time to kind of settle back in. You know, if you've ever been offended by sexual immorality with a spouse, it's going to take some time for them to repent. And it's going to take some time for you to heal. But here's what I love about this story. There's a chance to start over. That's what they're working towards. Hosea's whole response to her is benevolent. His whole response is, Let, I'm gonna, we're going to set life up. And by the way, look in chapter 3, verse 3. He says this. So I said to her, you will dwell as mine for many days. So he's saying, you're already mine. I'm going to take care of you. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. Like that's not going to happen anymore so will I also be to you. He, even as the offended, he says, I'm going to be this to you. So there's a, there's a process of you trying to get your heart right that I'm your husband again. And, and he said, but honestly, like, there's a process for me that I'm actually going to have to try to play the part of like, you're going to be my wife again. Like both, like he's hurt as well. You see that? So it's not negating his own hurt. He's like, I'm going to do this thing as well. I love this. They start over. There's a start over. You know, Anyone who has offended you, walk out past sexual immorality. Walk even past anything that anybody's ever offended you. Talk about, I mean, we're coming up on Thanksgiving, right? Now, y'all know some of us probably have family members that, that we will do everything to not even be around them at Thanksgiving. There's some of us that there's Thanksgiving fest, there's Thanksgiving engagements, things that we just won't go to if that person is there. Or we'll try to time it out where we arrive maybe an hour late so that we don't have to like do it at the same time, right? All right. Am I reading your mail? All right. No, I'm not. I'm just telling you, this is how depravity works. You think of a convenient excuse why not to gather with family, right? I mean, this is the, this is the thing, but no, no, no. We see 
Grace works a little bit different. Hosea says we're going to start over. He's not negating the sin that she did. He's not negating that he's hurt as well. And he has to actually work towards forgiveness. He's not negating any of this. But they're working towards reconciliation. Working towards reconciliation. Working towards it. Working towards it. This is what I find with people oftentimes. They're not working towards reconciliation. Like, they're just replaying, 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 getting bitter, getting bitter, getting more angry. Instead of saying, like, okay, what I got to do, Lord? This person has offended me. There's been a problem. How can I forgive from the heart so that I can try to extend reconciliation forgiveness? What can I do? I mean, like, so, like, in Thanksgiving, instead of, like, you know, shoving another turkey leg in your mouth, right? It, like, this might be a time to pull that person aside and say, like, man, like, brother, how can we get this? Man, we, sh- we shouldn't be like this. It, we shouldn't wait to reconcile this till some catastrophe happens in our family and someone dies, right? I mean, that, honestly, that's what happens, right? Y'all knew, we realize that, right? Okay, I'll get off that. Jose and Gomer, they start over. Isn't it great? They start over. Did you know that's the grace of being in Christ? There's always a chance to start over. Always a chance to start over. You might be going like, you don't know my situation, Nick. I don't. But I'm looking at Gomer's. <laughs> I'm looking at Hosea. That's a pretty bad situation, don't you think? It's a pretty kind of, you cross the line pretty far, Gomer, don't you think? Start over. What scandal that was to everybody, but yet was that not, that's the scandal of God's grace for us. Here's a start over. Even if you're here today and you're like, man, the Lord doesn't like me. Are you sure? He doesn't like you because you're great. He likes you because of the work of the cross, right? Like there's always a chance to start over. Until you don't have a breath. If The very fact that you're breathing right now means there's a chance to start over. Now, don't presume on God's grace and walk out of here and think like, okay, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back into my sin for another month and then I'm going to come back to him. Like, no, like, I can't promise you he's going to give you more, but I can promise you if you're breathing right now, it's a great chance to start over. What scandal of grace that we see in this? What, and, and, and as I end this off, here's the, the interesting thing about all this. When you look in chapter 2, verse 2, I want to read some stuff that God does in judgment to them, right? In judgment to them. Just so you know, he's a holy God. Watch in chapter 2, because it, some people would go, okay, wait, 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 what about, okay, if they parallel each other, what about how come Yahweh is judging Israel, but yet we don't see Hosea judging Gomer? Like, why is that? That kind of confuses me. When you look in chapter 2 in this poetry, you look in verse 3. Yahweh says to Israel, his wife, Israel, lest I, because of all her adultery, if she doesn't repent, he says this, lest I strip her naked, chapter 2, verse 3, and make her as the day she was born, and make her like a wilderness, and make her like a parched land, and kill her with thirst. Sounds pretty drastic, doesn't it? Like what, what Israel's going to go through. Upon her children also I have made no mercy, because they are the children of whoredom. All right, do, y'all, do y'all see that this looks, this looks kind, of, um, kind of extreme, right? What's, what's going on? Look in verse 9. Therefore I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season. I will take away my wool and my flax and which covered her nakedness. All the ways he's been supplying, he's saying, I'm going to take it away from her. I'm going to discipline her. I'm going to judge her. This is Yahweh towards Israel. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her feast, her new moons, her Sabbaths and all her appointed feasts. So Yahweh says to about his wife Israel, 
I'm going to discipline her for this. She keeps going away from me. Now look at verse 12. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, these are my wages, of which my lovers have given to me, and I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them. I will punish her for her feast days of the bales, when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with ring and jewelry and went after of the lovers, and she forgot about me, declares the Lord. So just so you understand, people kind of like, oh, you're talking about God's love, talking about God's love. What about God's justice? What about God's holiness? It's here. I mean, when you do track the children of Israel, they don't repent in the end. God gives them all the availability to repent. All He gives them a great visual of it, right? They don't. They later do go into Assyrian captivity. They experience some of this. So yeah, the Lord judges. But here's what's interesting. They experience God's judgment, but not to the full. They drink the cup, but not the fullness of the cup. Why why would I say that? Because look in verse 14. God says all this judgment that's going to come on them because of their sin, right? For Israel. Now look what he says in verse 14. Therefore, behold... I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness and I will speak tenderly to her. What does the Lord say? He's like, I will judge you. But then like on the other side of his mouth, he's like, but I'm going to draw you back to myself someday. So like that, God says like, I'm going to bring you back. We find that God brings them back from exile. We find that God brings the Messiah through them. We find that, that there will be a restored Davidic kingdom someday. So we like find that like the Lord still has grace and mercy on them. Look in verse 15. And there... I will give her a vineyard. He's going to restore them. And I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. If you don't know anything about the valley of Achor, that's, that's where Achan was killed for his sin and Joshua for stealing what he wasn't supposed to steal when they conquered Jericho. That was the Achor was known as a place of judgment and condemnation. But basically what he's saying is, I will make it a va- the valley of Achor a door of hope. He's going to say, the sin that you got in, when he said this, they understood of what happened in Judges chapter in Joshua chapter seven with Achan's sin of taking the taking the resources he shouldn't. He's basically saying, you know, the valley of Achor is something to bring condemnation and, and to bring trouble, but that's going to be a place of hope and blessing because when you see all your sin, you'll see someday all of my grace. Okay, are you feeling me in this? You getting this? So even in the midst, people go like, "Where's the judgment here? It's here," but at the same time, that judgment only goes so far. That judgment does not go to complete eradication. How do I know that? You still got Israelites today. You still have Jewish people today. Like, it didn't happen all the way. Why is that? And this is why I believe I don't see Hosea like... That's why when you look at chapter 2, you can parallel some things, but you can't parallel everything. Because some ways that Yahweh is judging Israel... Hosea is not righteous enough to judge Gomer that way. You you, you tracking with me? And, And ultimately, here's the deal. Hosea doesn't have to judge Gomer because someone else would bear that judgment thousands of years later. And Yahweh doesn't have to unleash the full dregs of his wrath because God's wrath thousands of years later would be poured out on someone else, right? Why why do we see such grace, such scandalous love in the midst of all this? The only reason we see that and can have it is because God's wrath was poured out on his son in our place. It's called the glorious exchange, the divine exchange. I I am his. I am his because of what he's done. I can't think of any better reason for us to take communion today.